Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Shop Talk podcast brought to you by 124Go. I'm your co-host, Chris Sulame, sitting across the Zoom from my great friend, Mr. John Palmieri. And man, we have a really great discussion today. And if you've been listening lately, you've kind of, uh, we've at least been talking about the fact that one of the things that we've been wanting to do in, in evolving the podcast is start to have more conversations with people that maybe you're not going to hear of not because they're not doing awesome and amazing things inside of their own salon, but because of that exact fact that they're at home and they're working hard and they're doing awesome and amazing things inside of their salon. You know, the best hairdressers are, you're not going to see them all the time on social because they're working hard on their clients. And that's certainly the truth for some of the best salon owners. You might not see them standing on a stage um, because they're at home tending to their business which is what this podcast is all about, is helping you grow your business. So we're on today with Tamara Zarnowski from Salon True, right outside of Philly. And as we got talking today, you reminded me that I was in your salon and what an amazing salon it was. And I know you've changed locations and we're going to talk about that. But first of all, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. We talked in the warm-up conversation about a lot of different topics that we think are highly relevant for anybody listening, whether you're a stylist or a salon owner. Mm -hmm. And so, um, John, why don't we get into it? Awesome. Let's get started. Um, one of the things I'm always excited about is I want to learn how people became hairdressers, how they got into this career. So Tamara, how'd this happen to you? Never wanted to be a hairstylist. Didn't like the hairstylist I went to because I thought an inch was this much. I mm -hmm. hated it. So I played softball. I was all central. Um, I planned on going to college. And my boyfriend, who ended up being my husband at the time, said that he thought I would look good as a blonde. Mm -hmm. So what did I do? Went to the store, bought a pretty blonde, <laughs> like Clairol. It looked good on the box. Exactly. And I put it on my head because I always wanted to look like Madonna. Well, it didn't turn out right. Mm -hmm. So my mom, she cursed, she goes, what the fuck did you do to your hair? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and I had to go to school. And she's like, oh, my God. So she called the hairdresser. Mm -hmm. And actually was the one that I worked for for 10 years before I opened up my own salon. And it was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, she actually changed me to look like Madonna. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was incredible. So I worked to pay for my hair. Yeah. So then I planned on going to college, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. And then I found out my parents weren't going to pay for college because I come from, you know, a blue collar family. So I thought about it and I must have been maybe out what, right after my hair appointment. And I thought, you know what? I want to be a hairstylist. Everybody has fun and they're smiling and they look good and they wear, you know, it was, I guess this was in the 90s. So they always wear like gold jewelry and, you know, big, like just awesome. And I was like, I want to do this. Everybody's so nice. Right. So that was my goal was to work at that salon. And so I went to beauty school and that was like my college. Get out of school, went to the hair cuttery and became the assistant manager within three months. And I had no idea what I was doing. Wow. And then after that, I went to get my hair done mm -hmm. at my old salon. And I was like, I just want to see if I could possibly work there. So the one girl was going out for maternity. She totally remembered me. And she's like, oh my God, you need to come in and have an interview with my boss. And I was like, are you serious? I thought she doesn't hire anybody unless they've had like four years experience. And she's like, just, just come in. I'll do your hair and you're going to talk to her. So I went in and my boss was like, I heard you wanted to work here. And I was like, oh my God, it's like my dream job. So excited. And she said, well, I, you have to relearn everything. 
So um, mannequins became my best friends. I went to classes and at the time uh, there was cassettes. I don't know if anybody remembers that, VHS. And I just watched tons of videos. And I went to classes by myself. And it probably took me about like eight months. I was allowed to bring in people. I mean, it wasn't like today where, you know, you had to go out and actually get people. Mm-hmm. You weren't a creeper if you gave out your card. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was right. a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then that was it. And I always had a goal. I put it in my job, you know, on my, whatchamacallit, I went to my own salon. But it's funny how that vision changed from like wanting to be, you know, have an all white salon before it was cool mm-hmm. and have like, you know, European vibe to really just wanting, going to affordable luxury for the everyday person, which is our your tagline now yeah our tagline now. what if you had to kind of think back what did you walk away from that experience with before you opened your own location what was what was probably the biggest lessons you learned in that process one to have contracts with mm-hmm. your stylist yeah make sure that you know how to correct color uh-huh. and fix every haircut as a mm-hmm. business owner i think the biggest mistake i made mm-hmm. now that i'm in my 40s i'll say that I think the biggest thing is my grandmother owned a, let me just back up. My grandmother owned a flower shop for 30 years mm-hmm. and she, when she'd answer the phone, she would say her name was, what'd she say? Flossie or Flossie? Ah, it's Flossie. She's from the South and right. it was just really funny. And she'd never say she was the business owner. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't, I didn't come up with a name for myself, but sure. what I did was I think I empowered my, my team that we were all equal. Mm-hmm. And I know this might sound bad, but like, I never said I was the business owner. Mm-hmm. I would say to all business owners, really own being a business owner. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to say that you own it. Mm-hmm. I, I stepped back. I let my business partner. So people always thought he was the business owner. And then that would piss me off later <laughs> in my coming years. Sure. <laughs> Cause nobody, you know, I just felt like I wasn't respected. And then mm-hmm you realize like what you do to yourself. And so that was something I would say that if you're a business owner, be proud to be a business owner, you know, good, bad, ugly. You know, John talks about that as uh, giving away your power. It is definitely one of those things that salon owners, younger salon owners, newer Mm -hmm. salon owners, maybe I should say, or just somebody that doesn't have the quality where they want either the conflict or sometimes it's even the approval. Like they're not looking for the approval out of it. Yeah. They're like, there are times where it's like, you want your team to have the approval or you want your team to have that recognition. But, you know, there's really something to be said for knowing who's the person to go to for what, you know, when there is something that needs to be handled that, you know, this is the person that I go to. And Mm -hmm. if, if that looks ambiguous, it can get tough on the communication of the team. It oh, it's, yes, on, you totally. know, because they don't, they, at, at some point they're like, well, they've given away so much that I don't know what to go to them for anymore. Right? And that's exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's funny. You start talking, you see like where things are going to go. So I'm going to mm-hmm. go down. This is not what I thought I was going to talk about, but yeah. this is really, that's, that's the biggest thing. I gave away my power and I just, I, they, they would go to Brian for everything. Mm-hmm. And I was the one that made the final decision. I was mm-hmm. the one that made a decision on everything. He's like, I don't know what the, you know, what, right. but they would just go and then they would play each other, play us against each other. Mm-hmm. And I think when I finally, after COVID, I, this is how long it took. God, I've owned the salon for 14 years. And I would say COVID mm-hmm. made me realize one, I can do all the financial stuff. 
-hmm. every single part. There's nothing I can't do. There's not, you know, I, I was able to pull, to raise money, um, for our stylists, each of my stylists got $3,500 cash through Venmo from our clients, just from wow. our raffles that we were doing. Yeah. On top mm -hmm. of everything else, you know, sure. the unemployment and everything. Um, and our salon, we were able to cover our rent with the do-it-yourself boxes that we did. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden I realized like, I know where clients live. I know mm -hmm. how to do this. I was coming in, I was formulating, I was doing everything. I was on the it, and it was a great feeling. And I thought, you know, I never did that before. I never really, I'd always sit back and be like, all right, let him do it. And then I get pissed at him behind the scenes. Like, sure. why do they always come to you? But I gave away my power, a hundred, mm -hmm. a billion percent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that one of the challenges you find in our industry is that people are looking for leadership, right? They're looking for somebody to make a decision. They're looking for somebody to kind of give them a vision as to where we're going next and what we're going to do. And you know, as you said, you, you know, kind of gave away your power. And, and with that, you give away direction, you give away uh, goals, you give away everything. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. even to the point I was out to dinner with my boyfriend and we're sitting at, we're sitting at the bar, which is so nice. <laughs> Can we just say how nice it is to sit at the bar? Right. And uh, my uh, distributor person was sitting next to me mm -hmm. and my boyfriend goes, who? who is that? Mm -hmm. And why is he talking to you like that? And I just realized like, I I've allowed, he's like, you, you're his customer. Like, I, I'm not, like he should be talking to you with respect. You've owned a business for how long? Mm -hmm. And I realized that I have totally been like, okay. Mm -hmm, and not own my power. What, what was it about COVID that made you make this leap, this jump? <sighs> Fight or was it fight or flight? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've, I fought. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think, you know, my whole life, and I think like all of us, um, you, you think like, okay, what could be taken away? Your, mm -hmm. your business, you know, your, I never thought my business could ever be taken away. Mm -hmm. And for this, it was the scariest thing in the world. I was like, oh my God. And it was just, you have to survive. Like, what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. And I think it's the, the customer service. It's like, I have to be there for my clients. I was getting reached out, but I was scared. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't going to go to anybody's house, mm -hmm. but I kept thinking about like, you know, what we have to do or, and, right. and, and a lot of, and it was amazing too. It was also seeing so many salons do the same thing. Right. So I think it was really nice that we all kind of did it. I think that's interesting that you say that because, mm -hmm. and because the truth is, is one of the things that we talk about a lot. And Brian talks a lot about this is like, you know, for most salon owners, they're, the most happy time they ever had is when they're designing their space. Right. Doing the build out. And yeah. the, the reality is, is like, we never, we don't really keep in mind, like what an actual client would want. You know, um, when I'm That's a client, a I walk into a salon, I want to feel comfortable, yes. right? I want to feel welcome. I want it to be clean. Yes. Um, oftentimes I had a friend, uh, Randy Kunkel used to say all the time, he probably still says, you know, that your remodel is really for your stylists, that the, that sometimes when the client comes in, they don't even notice your remodel. Mm -hmm. They That's don't true. notice that you change the colors of paint. What they notice is, oh, it looks clean in here. Right. Oh, it smells nice in here. Um, now it's not to say that every person, of course, some people, but it, it really is an interesting, and you made a couple of other decisions that I think were really interesting as well along the way that I want to ask about, you know, when you were kind of taking a look at 
how many people do I want or how big of a staff? And you're like, I don't really want a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, like what, you know, you've been in business 14 years. What did you land on and why, you know, because I see a lot of people going smaller as well. And, and I don't, you know, like we work for, you know, a large organization. I mean, you know, that we have 120 hairstylists, the, all the locations are big, but I don't believe that's for everybody. I don't know how you do it. I mean, our biggest thing is, is finding, it is magic. It's incredible. (laughs) I mean, that's like. So how did you land on kind of, you know, what your happy place was and what was important for you? Well, I think one, I got really frustrated with not being able to find the right people. You know, you stick to your values, you take all these leadership classes, but we have to really talk about like uh, demographic, like where do you live? You know, what kind of people? You know, people here are different people than Massachusetts, different than people in Atlanta. You guys see that. You just have different demographic everywhere. Yeah. So where we are, there's a lot of salons. A lot of people are opening up the suites. And I just thought, you know, I, I rather have smaller, like I can always extend. I always expand, not, not expand that much, but I thought, let me do four stations so that when people look in, it's always busy. I compa- compacted our hours Wednesday through Saturday. And I was like, start there. You know, as long yeah. as we can pay the bills and things are good, mm-hmm. just quality of life. I, if there's too many people, I mean, I'm like that normally anyway, I'm good on one-on-one. And <laughs> I think a lot of in, you know, city salons as well. I'm going to call it an inner city salon. My uh, sisters, you know, my cousins, my, mm-hmm. my brothers, you know, they've all had salons in and around that area. And, and you're right. There's a very di- different temperature then uh, we're in the burbs where we're at. So we're out, we're outside of Atlanta and Lawrenceville here. And I live in Florida and I can tell you the salons are different in Florida oh, than they are yeah. here. Yeah. You know, so it's, it, you're, you're right about that. You're making this transition from a larger salon to a smaller salon. I think one of the things you mentioned was quality of life. Yes. I think one of the other things you mentioned was, you know, you've gone through some leadership classes and you're learning about, you know, you've obviously got some core values that are important to you. Um, but you also said it was kind of difficult to, to hire, right? Yeah. Um, but that's kind of been a challenge at the moment. How are you, I know with downsizing, it becomes less of a challenge, but what do you notice as the industry changes as, as we go from where we were pre-pandemic to where we are now? What are some of your observations, things that you see? I've seen a lot more salon suites open. Yeah. I've seen a lot of stylists walk out of big salons. Why do you think um, that is? If I could ask. I, I I have this theory and I remember learning this a long time ago yeah. um, and, and it was generation saying that, you know, millennials learn from each other mm-hmm. more than they do from like my, like my generation, we learn from other people like Vidal Sassoon or, you know, Trevor Sorbet, like people, you sure. know, you just go to classes and you want to see them and, and you always look at their experience, right. which now we're in mm-hmm. culture where it's about influencers that have only been doing it for five years. And they make, you know, so I can't, I would say I've seen more people going out on their own because mm-hmm. they don't feel like they need, I guess, 10 years experience. I just got um, contacted by somebody. Mm-hmm. It made me sound really important. And let me rephrase that. I got an email. I was on an email <laughs> chain sure. and I'm looking at this person and I'm like, she's only been doing hair for three years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And so I, you know, watched something that she had on Instagram and she was doing like this free class, whatever. And she was like, Hey guys, you don't have to be working behind the chair every day. 
you only have to work behind the chair, you know, three days a week and, and make a ton of money. And I'm like, okay, anybody that makes six figures that I know of, they work 60 hours a week or more, you know, right. like mm-hmm. you don't have CEOs that don't work. Right. They work three days a week. Mm-hmm. And I think like, that's, that's the disappointment. I feel like a lot of stylists are getting, and I think that's why they're leaving salons because mm-hmm. that message is being put out there. Sure. Hey, three days a week, you're going to make, you know, 2000. Okay. Let, let's do the math. Let's mm-hmm. see how much are you really charging? Mm-hmm. Is this really going to work out? And the expectation that they, the people are putting on themselves from these influencers, it's, it's really sad, I think, because the reality is not everybody can do that. How have you changed to adapt to what's happening? I think, you know, one, one thing is talking to my team and, and, you know, actually telling them like, listen, you guys are all boss babes. Mm-hmm. You're behind the chair. You're working really hard. Don't beat yourself up on what's going on. You know, we'll mm-hmm. dissect things. If there's somebody in there, you know, just say, say Let, let's check out what this person really knows what they're doing. Like just mm-hmm. to kind of make them feel good about themselves because, mm-hmm. you know, their worth, I said, you're, you're amazing at what you do. You should be charging you know, this amount of money, your Mm -hmm. education is phenomenal. And, um, I think that's, I say more validating, you know, and showing them like, Hey, listen, you're, you're a mama bear. You're, you know, you're a mom, you're Mm -hmm. working single mom. And there's so much pressure that these influencers are putting on. I think that's also why there's a lot of suicides and there's a lot of depression. Mm -hmm. And I think social media has a lot to do with it. So I tried to reel them in and say, Hey, listen, don't worry about this. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about that. Like you're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. These are the numbers you have to do. Look at these great reviews that you're getting. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's what I, that's how I've changed it really. I think it's, it's interesting that you're talking about that kind of comparing um, oneself to, you know, and it, and it's that online thing. We've had a lot of conversations with influencers that have very much said exactly what you just said right? in a way where they'll say like, look, what I'm doing on Instagram took a long time, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, and it's, it's a different, um, thing than being one-on-one with a person with a, with a, with a client in your chair, right? right? Yeah. A, a social media post is a different thing. This morning I was talking with a group about pricing in general. And I, and I did say, you know, and we look, it's, you know, we, we talk to everybody and we, we take all perspectives, but there is something dangerous about somebody that doesn't have all the information mm-hmm. telling an audience that's broad what they should or shouldn't do because I don't have the information about that person's skill level. Mm-hmm. I don't have the information about the clientele in their area, how mm-hmm. abundant uh, their demographic is or not. Right. Yes. Um, and I mean, you can, this is a fact. So if you're listening, you know, put your ears on, you can make one pricing mistake in your career. I don't mean on one client. I Mm -hmm. mean, make one bad decision that I'm going to price myself into a category that I'm not really living at yet. Mm -hmm. And it can really make it hard to grow a clientele for a long time. Yeah. Um, and there, it feels like there's an infinite amount of clients out there. And if you're amazing at self-marketing, that could feel really true. But if you're not amazing at self-marketing and your skills aren't completely developed, Mm -hmm. and then I take, you know, John's on Instagram and he says I should charge $400 because I'm worth it. Mm -hmm. That's going to kill my business. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, there is definitely a strategy behind business growth. Mm-hmm. You know, people have been growing businesses for years and there, right. and there is something amazing about the fact that nowadays you have social, that if you're ready to pound the pavement, man, you can do it. You know, yeah. you can grow yourself. And if you've got that skill and ability, you can do it. But, but there are some benchmarks, mm-hmm. some check marks, some KPIs, if you want to call them that, but I'm trying to stay away from that language right now that you can look at that can help you to know when it's time to adjust your prices. And look, if it takes you until you're 28 years old oh God, to, make, a baby. Yeah. to make $125,000 a year, that ain't too fucking bad. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I want to talk about while we got you here, um, you wrote a book. I did. A while back. Tell us about your book. There it is. There it is. There it is. One of my clients like, uh, you mean like a pamphlet? <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> relax. I said, I don't know how to get this like copy. Um, it's called Speak Our Language. And I yep. wrote it back in 2007. I started, or actually I finished it because, you know, we I wanted people to learn how to speak to your stylist. Like, what, what are we talking about? Because we have our own language. Sure. So, you know, things like um, bangs, you know, fringe, mm-hmm. angles, sure. layers. What is it? Mm-hmm. You know, I still have clients using the wrong terminology and then they sure. get a really bad haircut. Not, not for me, no, but you know, me. not for me. From other people. Other people. <laughs> and they're like, but I, I didn't want this. And I said, mm-hmm. but you asked for, you know, you, you have to know the terminology and we have to teach them. So this was sure. really a book to help them communicate mm-hmm. to their stylists, awesome. um, yep. how to pick out a salon, mm-hmm. um, how to avoid a razor cut. How mm-hmm. do you know if a stylist really doesn't know how to use a razor? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how to back out of things, sure. how to know what to say, mm-hmm. um, your personality. And then I always have the golden rule. Give What's the golden rule? In the book. Yeah, yeah. So in choosing a salon, <laughs> one of the First chapters. First of all, I want to know, is there an audiobook version of this? Because I, I, I think I want to hear you deliver it. I think that be is fun. a great idea. I should do that. Because you switch to your radio voice every once in a while. And I want to hear you do, I want to hear you do the book in your radio voice. Yeah. Okay. The golden rule. No, okay. Self- <laughs> self-awareness will help you choose the salon that suits you best. All right. So go into the personality. Are you, you know, are you outgoing, talkative, very decisive about your hair? You may end like high end to mid price salon. So I go into like all this stuff, right? Yeah. Choosing a stylist. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Golden rule. Self-awareness will help you choose the salon that suits you best. Looks are the initial attraction in most relationships, but age is a state of mind. Hey podcast, Chris here. Thanks again for listening. Wanted to share a quick experience that we've been having lately with 124Go and helping salons to grow and prosper just happens to come up that recently I've helped four or five different salons create pricing structures and strategies that make sense for their salon and I hear myself saying this a lot when I'm working with salon professionals is I know on Instagram everybody's talking about charging what you're worth and of course we agree with that but there's also some numbers that help you balance that out and you can kind of figure that out there's a little bit of math uh, that comes along with that 
and I've watched 20, 30, 40, I'm not sure how many stylists I've worked with lately, eyes wake up when they actually see the reasoning and that there's a structure and a strategy behind growing your business and raising your prices. I also talked with a woman today on the phone who has just doubled her pricing and she's walking through the experience of all of the things that we tell ourselves about money and that we tell ourselves about our price and our value. And here's the deal. The reason why this particular woman could do this is because she was in such high demand, yet she was being held hostage by her own thinking and her own ideas and her own beliefs around what her clients would think and what would happen. And what we do is we help salons through taking a look at it, a very tactical supply and demand strategy, and then we build it around what your current pricing is, and then we help you to project when you can start to have those price adjustments without losing too many clients at once so you don't blow your business up. So we want you to get to the pricing that you deserve to be at, but your client demand and your retention plays a huge role in that. So listen, if you're wanting help with pricing strategies, reach out to us on Instagram, 124.go, or you can email us at info at 124go.com. We've also got a great pricing strategy segment inside of the Salon Business Blueprint, which is linked below. Uh, this is a really big deal. Most of you salons out there, in all honesty, I wish I could say this wasn't true, but you're doing it wrong. And a lot of you are very secretly sitting in pain because you don't know how to approach your pricing strategies, not only for yourself behind your chair, but if you're an owner for your entire team as a group. This is something that we can do in a short window of time. We can get you uh, really back on track to where you guys are charging what you should be charging and you can really start the career path so you can make sure that as you grow your demand, you continue to raise your prices appropriately so that you can be making the money that you deserve. So if that sounds interesting to you, go ahead and reach out to us on Instagram or email us at info at 124go.com. This is something we'd love to help you with. And again, I just can't tell you how many conversations I've had lately where people are like, I am so happy we finally did this. So um, anyway, that's that. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks always for the reviews. And we'll see you on the next episode.